I want you to turn in your Bibles with me today to James chapter 1. We're going to read the first four, or the second, third, and fourth verse. James chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Years ago, I had an experience. I was younger, and uh, I, I lived in a house that, you know, I, I kept all my jewelry. I can't wear jewelry. If you look at me, I can't wear any jewelry. I have an allergic reaction to metal. And so, you know, most pastors might wear bling, and I don't get to. Amen. So all the necklaces and all that stuff. So you'll never have to worry about me blowing money on jewelry. Amen. You won't ever, say, ever have to say that pastor went and spent my money on a Rolex because I can't wear one. <laughs> Amen. I got no jewelry. I, can't, I haven't even been able to wear my wedding ring. You might think I'm single. I'm not. I'm married. But if I wear my wedding ring, my, ring, my finger will start bleeding and all kinds of stuff. And so occasionally I'll put it on until it gets bad. Then I'll take it off and let it fix itself. But uh, so I'd taken these rings off and stuff and, and put them in my, in my, you know, in a jewelry box in my house. And I had, you know, various things. But the most important, you know, when you lose something, sometimes it's not the value of the thing. You know, you could lose your driver's license out of your wallet and you wouldn't even care about the money in it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Or you lose, because your identity is connected to that. Or, you know, I mean, you have attachments to things. My mom had bought me a class ring. It, did, it wasn't an actual class ring, but she went out. In my high school senior year, I didn't want to get, because I always wanted to go to college, I told her, don't buy me a school ring, just buy me a ring, and I'll buy a class ring once I graduate from school uh, in college. So she said, okay, and Whitman bought me a really pretty diamond ring to wear. And I, I, would, I would wear it occasionally, obviously, and take it off when necessary. Um, and so, long story short of it is, all of a sudden one night, these, these, my house was robbed. And a man came in and took everything out of my house, robbed all my stuff, all the valuable things. That I, but this ring was the single most important thing to me. As a matter of fact, there were two rings in there. It actually, actually, my college ring was in there as well. And both of those rings meant a whole lot to me. You know, they just had sentimental value. There was a lot attached to them. They were meaningful because I had earned them. And yeah, you can replace them. But you know, you, don't want, you know, it's like somebody stealing your, your wedding ring. If somebody stole your wedding ring as a wife, you could go get another one, but that means something to you. You know, I went and bought my wife a second wedding ring. We went, out, we went on a cruise, and we stopped in one of the islands, and I went to a jewelry store, and I bought her another diamond ring, you know, to, that, she, that she wears now, but she hadn't thrown away the other one. I mean, the other one was, you know, I didn't have no money. You know, know, know what I'm talking about? I mean, it may as well have been a bubblegum machine I bought that ring out of. I didn't have no money, to, you know, but she hangs on to that ring. It's so precious to her because it has value based on something that happened to her. That, so these rings meant so much to me. And uh, so when it was originally done, I went to every pawn shop I could go to. I had, I had gone everywhere I could go to find these rings, couldn't find these rings. And I would just, every once in a while, it just pierced my heart. I'd go and I'd think, you know, I lost those rings. They're so important to me. I wish I had those rings. And, uh, and time had passed. A year went by. Two years went by. And I still kept thinking about those rings, wanted to get those rings back. And I got married. And Amy and I, of course, moved into our little apartment there in Lakeland, Florida. And, and uh, uh, I still didn't have these rings. And I went to her one day. I said, you know, Amy, I, I, I would love to have those rings back. I wish I could get those rings back. And, uh, and she said, well, why don't you believe God? Well, that was a novel concept. I mean, you know, believe God. I didn't think of that. That was a little more funny than y'all are making it. It must be the heat. And so I thought, you know what, you're right. I'm going to believe God. So I started believing God, and I started, you know, just really, you know, kind of believing God for these rings to, that I would find the rings. 
I went back about six months later. I said, you know, I wish those rings would come back. And, and, and it jumped in my heart while I was talking to Amy after that that I should, I should, I should get a little angry about it, a little violent about it. And so I did. I, I, I got mad. Amy said something. I don't remember what she said, but she stirred my heart. I got stirred up, and I said, I said, you know something? God, I'm believing you right now in Jesus' name that these rings walk back to me. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, these rings will walk back, and you'll bring them back to me. They'll walk back to me. I didn't even know what I was saying. I never even thought of it. I, I said, God, they're going to walk right back through this door. Now, that's the craziest confession you could possibly imagine. How can a ring walk? How many know a ring cannot walk? Amen. Have you ever seen one walking? That's a special ring if you did. And, and I mean, I don't know why that came out of my mouth, but I said, this ring's going to walk back to me. It's going to walk through this door in Jesus' name. going to walk through my house and this, through this door. And so uh, a, a few weeks passed, just a few weeks, and I got a, a knock at the door. And it was a police officer. And he said, are you Steve McCart? I said, yes, sir. I thought, uh-oh. What did I do, you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't expect the police officer to walk to your door, you know. So he, he said, I've got, uh, I need you to come with me to my car. I'm thinking, I'm really in trouble. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I said, yes, sir. And so I walk out to the car, and this police officer pulls this baggie out of the, of the car, and inside the car is not only the two in this baggie are these two rings that had been stolen years earlier, but also other jewelry from my house. And so, so I'm standing there, I'm thinking, wow! He said, you, your name is inscribed on the inside of these rings. And I looked you up. I said, well, how, how, did you, well, how do you have my rings? And he proceeds to tell me this enormously amazing story this guy had, there was a phone call that came into the police station and uh, apparently one of the ladies saw a car stalking a neighborhood in, in near, nearby where I was living. And uh, <laughs> so she called the police. When they showed up, this guy had broken into a house had, and, and had come out of the house. They sent the dogs after him and the dogs grabbed him from under the house and pulled him out from underneath the house. When they did, it ripped the back pocket of his pants and out fell my rings. Now, that's pretty amazing right there, isn't it? Now, I don't know whether he stole them out of that house or he was just the stupidest crook in the world and had them with him when he went to steal from somebody else. I'm not exactly sure how that all worked out. But I was so excited, I filled out the report in his car. He said, well, young man, he said, now listen. He said, young man, I can't give these to you here. He said, let me bring them and put them on your table. The man grabbed the baggie and walked those rings into my house and sat those rings on my table. Them rings walked back through my door. I didn't make that up. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, you know, I love a faith life. Folks, I love living by faith. 
I absolutely love living by faith. If you don't know these experiences, you've missed out on some of the greatest blessings you could ever have in your life. Somebody said, I don't know God is real. I have seen too many things. I'm already ruined. You can't tell me there's no God. I've already been there too many times. I've already gone through too much stuff. I've already watched God do too many things. I know that my God is able. I know that God is there. I know that he is real. I know that he will help me. I know that he is my present help in time of trouble. I know that he is my deliverer. I know that he is my success. I know that he is my healer. I know that he is my savior. Oh, hallelujah. I know that no weapon formed against me shall ever prosper. I know that if God be for me, there's nothing that can be against me. I know that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches. I know that I know that I know. And I'm telling you this morning that God is not just God to Steve McCart. He's not just God to somebody else, but he's God to you. He's the same God to you that he is to me. He's not different. He's not changed. He's not one thing and another. God is God. I bet y'all can't tell I'm a little fired up. James says this. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. What? Count it all joy. What? I mean, count it all joy when diverse temptations. First of all, one way that you'll know that you can count all joys is because first you've got to know temptation doesn't come from God. I mean, I understand what I'm talking about. When you fall into diverse temptations, and it isn't something God puts on you, it isn't something God takes you through. I like that word fall. Has anybody been in the fall before? I mean, you know, life has a way of hitting you. I know the church used to tell us that God put us there, that God had ordained for us to be in that place. Because he is setting you up. But the fact of the matter is the Bible nowhere says that. The Bible says that you fall into these things. You know, interestingly enough, it rains on the just and the unjust. If you live in this world, I got news for you. Faith or no faith, saved or no saved, you're going to go through some stuff. Look at somebody and say, you're going to go through some stuff. There are going to be times when you don't know if you can mentally be there tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, there are going to be times when you don't know if the bill is going to get paid. There are going to be times when you don't know if the employee is going to hang around or not. Are you going to have a job tomorrow or not? You don't know if they're going to lock your son up or not. You don't know if that cancer is going to be gone or not. I mean, in the natural, I know in the Holy Ghost, and I know in the Scriptures it says that, but let's talk about the natural. You're going to go through some stuff. Now, if there's anybody who hasn't gone through some stuff in here, let me know. I'll take lessons from you. I'll sit down. You can preach. No, you're going to go through some stuff. You're going to fall into some diverse temptations, things that are going to, that are going to try. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. It's very important that you get this aspect of this conversation. They're not going to try you. See, if we get the impression that the trials that we go through in life are to try us, 
then we missed the point. We've missed out on what really is going on because the Bible says that, the, that these trials are not to try you, but are to try your faith. Look at someone and say, you ain't the trial. I know that ain't good English. I got to work on ain't today, I can tell. I'm in one of them moods. I got to work on, you are not the trial. I mean, you're just going to go through it. You understand? You're, you're in the middle of it. You're, the, you're floating through the trial, but it's not trying you. If you don't know Jesus, then you have no faith. Then the trial that you go through is still a trial of faith. It's just not a trial of your faith in God. But if you as a born-again believer go through some stuff, these diverse temptations, it's going to try your faith. What does that mean? And then it says it goes on to say that it's going it's to work patience in you. Meaning that you're going to have the ability to understand that even though you're going through something, think about this now. You've had some trust in God. You've come to the place where you know God's going to come through for you because he was there in the bear. He was there in the lion. He was there when you needed him. He showed up. And the next time something comes around, you got some experience to draw on. You have a trust in God. And so you wait patiently for your deliverance. It's not saying you're going to def- you, you can't be defeated because you, you know you've got trust and confidence in God. Your faith may be tried, but I believe what God said. I might not see my answer like that, but I'm going to wait because I know I'm going to see. I'm going to see the deliverance of the Lord. I might be grieving today. I might be. I might be full of grief. I might have lost the closest person in my life, but joy. Joy is going to come in the morning. You you see what I'm saying? I've lost. Two people in my life, my mom and my dad, who I was very close to, and I can tell you it hurts. There's nothing like the hurt of losing a loved one. It hurts. A piece of your life is gone, and you know you're going to see them again. There's a hope, but you need some salve that comes along. And you stand there at times, and you're all alone, and you got nobody, and you feel like the roots of your life walked away. You know, you can't get them back. You can't make the phone call. I've sat up at night and thought, I'm going to call my mama. Two years, three years later, I'm going to call my daddy. And I couldn't call him because there's nobody going to answer the phone on the other end. But God came in his God came in his hell. God came in the midst of my struggle and delivered me from all. You know, joy comes in the morning. See, the trial of your faith, it works patience because you become so trustworthy of God. You know, you have a confidence in him that your faith is going to work. I don't know how. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to supply. I don't know how he's going to heal my body. I don't know how he's going to take care of my children. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this marriage. I don't know, but I know I am. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor principalities and power, nor things present, nor things to come, or things in the past shall separate me from the love of God. Shoot! One of the greatest characters in the Bible for me is David. I love David. I mean, I just love it because because he he was a sheep dung cleaner upper. They had him on the backfield. Of all the eight brothers, he was the loser. 
And you can say whatever you want to, but they, they took seven of them and left the eighth one. And he was out tending sheep on the back 40. Y'all understand what I'm talking about. He was the one nobody looked at. They looked beyond him. When they looked at him, they looked further. When they asked about who was going to be the king, they looked for everybody else but him. Think about it. Didn't even bring him to Samuel. Didn't even bring him to the prophet. I mean, he, wasn't, he was an afterthought. I mean, I love that. I love that. That, 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 that underdog. I, I mean, that's why I believe I'm going to beat your team because we're underdogs. And I love that underdog story. That's why I'm a Buffalo Bills fan because they're going to come through one day, one day. This is the year. This is it. This is the one. I love the underdog story. I love that David's this underdog that nobody, nobody would look at, nobody had any feelings for, who didn't have a leg up or a leg in or a leg out. I mean, he didn't have any armor that he could wear. He didn't have proper weaponry. All he had was a rag and a rock. They didn't give him a sword. They didn't give, I mean, you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, he was nothing more than a, than a guy who was going to show up along the way and they would have him bring food to him at the, at the front lines and stuff. Well, he goes out one day on the front line. We know the story. He walks out on the front line of the battle and Goliath of Gath comes forward and he's ready to, you know, he's ready to spout out his mess. And David, this little punk from the backwoods who nobody cares about and thinks anything of, God has a gift in him. He has an anointing in him. God had a destiny for him. Before you were even born, God had a destiny for you there is a plan for your life now life may come and attack you and it may beat you down but I'm telling you don't let, don't let it don't let it beat out your vision don't let it beat out your dream don't let it beat out your ambition don't let it beat out the dream of God in you don't let life come and take away the plan of God in your life don't let it come and take away his anointing don't let it come and take away his gifting God put it there God planted it God called it so God anointed you God made you what you are God put the dream in you God gave you the ability don't you let the devil steal your dream I know it didn't look right I know things may not have gone your way I know, I know, I know I've, I've had experiences like that he walked out on that front line I love the story he took his rag and his rock and he went out there this little poem writing you know love God kissing Little boy walked out on this field, took that boulder and, I mean, just slung that rock, hit him right in the, between the eyes. It didn't kill him, but he went out there with a sword, whacked that man's head off, whack, walked off and said, done. Finish with that. Now, this experience has blessed David. David has a, a wondrous experience. If you look at one of the passages I want you to turn over real quick and, I, and just keep this for yourself because when I get done today, I pray to God that I encourage you in such a way that this story will make, a, make an impact on your life and it'll change your experience from today forward. In 1 Samuel chapter 30 is a story that takes us from where David has left the battlefield. He's now gone from the battlefield of, De uh, of Goliath. He's gone into the house of Saul. And when he went into the house of Saul, who was the king, at first Saul absolutely loved him, absolutely embraced him and held him close. Saul and he became close. Jonathan became close to him, Saul's son. But isn't it interesting how that, over time, people that love you can end up being the ones that hate you. 
You ever had anybody turn on you? I mean, today they're kissing you. Tomorrow they're stoning you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody but me ever been through that? Have you ever been to the place where one day they absolutely, you thought they were going to be with you forever and tomorrow they're they gone. They weren't with you. They weren't around. The one that said, yeah, I'm going to be there for you. I'm standing with you. You stood at the altar with some guy and he said, till death do us apart. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, he wasn't there. And you ain't dead yet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Saul is in, in this condition with David. And David is in the midst of this mess. And still he's serving faithfully under Saul, serving him faithfully. Saul's throwing javelins at him, going to kill him, and yet he's still serving faithfully. He refused to touch the anointed of God. You know, just a sidebar, just a little sidebar, just a little side note. I like the, 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 the knowledge, the, the, the depth of who David is. Because in spite of what he could have done, he didn't do it. In spite of what even he knew was the case. He knew he was the next king after Saul. He knew it. But he did not take advantage of the moment he served under a man who was throwing javelins at him. Who didn't like him. Who hated him and was trying to kill him. But he served faithfully under that condition because he trusted the anointing more than he trusted the man. Well, I better, I'll take that later. We'll get to that later. We'll talk about that in a little while. We have to be careful. I, I wouldn't sit under somebody that was living in sin, but I sure wouldn't try and stone them either. I, I wouldn't stay in a church where it was full of or, or lacked integrity and it lacked character and the pastor was living in, 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 against the word of God. I wouldn't stay there, but I wouldn't beat him down either. You're not going to hear me talk about a man of God. Woe be it to the man that it comes through. You know what I'm saying? David had determined, he knew it prophetically. He had even known prophetically the word of God had come and said that he would, he, would, he would not be in the throne and that David would be the king, but he didn't pursue that. Oh, it got quiet. Y'all were shouting a minute ago, but we'll go back to shout. So finally it came to the point where David had to leave because things had gotten so bad. He was in charge of Saul's armies, armies that, that he could not control anymore. Things had become so ridiculously bad that he had to leave. He left his best friend. He left his position and post, and he went out into a wilderness. And out in that wilderness, he finds him 600 soldiers. They're not like Saul's soldiers, just a ragtag group of ruffians out in the middle of the woods, a bunch of people from the, you know, nomadic people from tribes and little towns, and some of them were young, some of them were old, but they're not anything special, just a group of men that would come together and gather behind David. And so David continued the campaigns of leadership under this situation as an exile from Saul's uh, 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 palace. He continued. Now listen, he continued to serve Saul at a distance. He continued to fight the Philistines on behalf of Saul. Not himself. But he continued to serve and fight the Philistines from a distance to honor the anointing that was in Saul. He continued to do it. His 600 men were fighting the Philistines and fighting battles for Saul and the Israelites just not in town. See what I'm saying? And so all of a sudden, it comes to time they go to battle. And as they leave this battle, they go out into the wilderness to fight the Philistines. He takes the 600 men. This is where we are now. It's 1 Samuel chapter 30. He takes them out into the wilderness. While he is out in the wilderness fighting the Philistines and having the battle of a lifetime with 600 men, he's outnumbered and outmatched. Behind him 
in the camp where there were the Amalekites come to the camp, raid the camp, destroy the camp, and take captive all of those, everyone who is in this camp, the wives of these men, the children of these men, all their servants are taken captive and taken away because the Amalekites are like snipers and assassins. They're very cunning people. According to the scriptures, they were the fiercest of warriors because they were the wisest of warriors. They didn't attack you in your face. They came behind you, and they would attack your, your, your weakest points. And they knew that if, while these men were off fighting a battle, that they could come in to the camp and do what they did and control them by taking captive their women and children. So David now is out doing a campaign, fighting. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it's, 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 sometimes battle can be hard. And when you get done with a battle, you can be tired. I was out of that football field, and I'm telling you, I was hot. We were doing battle, and I was about to faint. It was hot. Has anybody ever been in a fight before? And no, you know what I'm talking about when you just, you've done all you can. You, you've, you've put up every struggle. You've, you've fought and you're tired. I mean, you may have won. You may win, but you come home with a broken leg, you know. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? You, I mean, you, you, you may beat cancer, but you might have a, a, a something left over at the end of it. You might, you might not have to go into bankruptcy court, but you come back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So anyway, long story short of it, when they come back, as they, as they come back to Ziklag, they realize, tired and wounded and, and distraught, they realize, walking in, there's, there's, there's no camp. Uh, no tea waiting. No, there, they, no, no, no porridge on the pot. No, no kids to kiss you. No bed to lay in. And everything that you had built, everything that you had done, every dream that you had in your life, everything connected to that dream had been taken away. I mean, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, in the middle of a fight, tired, coming home, looking for a place of comfort, looking for a place of compassion, looking for a place where you can have someone to, to support you and hold you up, you come back to nothing. Have you ever been there where you were tired and you were, you were weary and you were worn and, and, and while you're in the middle of the worst fight of your life, the devil comes to the back and he comes around the side and he hits you one more time and you're thinking, I've been there. I don't know if anybody else has been there where I was just ready to quit. I just wanted to quit. I'm done. Had enough. I'm through. I've been through it. I fought. And I came home looking for comfort. I'm looking for answers. And there are no answers. It's just more trouble, more controversy, more situations. And, 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 and in the middle, I mean, I just need some help here. And there's no help. And you're just ready to give up. That's a bad place. The Bible says that the men wept for a 24-hour period. They wept. All these 600 men, they came back and they wept. I can't tell you how many times I've been at the middle of, I'm going to quit. I'm just telling you, I've had enough. And in the middle of this, the next day they get up, and not only, not only did he come back to nothing, 
But the men, the 600 men that were with him turned on him. Oh, I'm just telling you. There are just times when people can't see the vision. I've come to realize that, that sometimes people can't look beyond where you are right now. They don't realize you're just passing through. They don't realize that this is just a stage. I mean, yeah, you don't have the armor yet, and you're not the prince in the palace right now, but God has already declared it, and God already said it. God already has a plan, and it don't look like the plan's coming true, and sometimes men just can't get that. These 600 men stood there looking at him, and, and you know, there's nothing worse to a leader, nothing worse to a man than to have those that follow him stop believing in him. How many of you have ever experienced that the person, your wife, you're sitting at home, she was following you, lifting you up, she was standing with you, and tomorrow you have something happen and something goes bad and she just, she doesn't believe in you anymore. There's nothing worse to a man or a leader, a person of, uh, that, that, to have those that he leads lose confidence and trust in him because we are built by the confidence and trust people have in us. I'm not what I am because I believe in me. I'm what I am because you believe in me. I don't know if you understand that, but when you have that happen, and David's at a low of lows. I, I don't think, excuse me, I get a little emotional. I don't think, I really don't, I don't think that day he felt like he was going to be king. Even though God had said it, I just don't think he felt that way. I don't think he, you know, maybe you've been there where I'm talking about, where you don't, you don't think, you're sitting there and you're seeing a no at the bank and you saw a no on note and you saw the electric bill and you saw the lawyer document come, and that day it didn't look like it was going to work. Have you ever been there? I mean, am I the only one? Am I the only one that's had the devil come up the back? You've been fighting with all your might. You've been taking it on the chin. You came home with walking wounded. You barely made it back, and the devil hit you with just one more one more thing, one more thing. It just seemed like it was never going to end. You get to the point where you're looking at no hope. You almost feel like, I mean, you don't even look for compassion anymore because it's too much trouble. I love what David did. Nobody was there to lift him up. Nobody was there to pick him up. The Bible says that he went before the Lord. And he encouraged himself. He encouraged himself. I have found in my own personal experience that there are times in your life when nobody's going to pat you on the back. Nobody's going to tell you I see that dream in you. I, I've been there. I mean, I've been there where nobody, no, I'm talking about nobody, is going to lift you up. You better know how to encourage yourself. And he's, the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. I got a feeling he got down there and it probably didn't start off like a dance. It probably didn't start off with some joy. Kind of reminds me of Paul and Peter, and, or Paul and Silas in the prison. I have a feeling at midnight they had to encourage themselves. 
How many know what I'm talking about? It was the deepest, darkest dungeon. It was dark that night. It was foul smelling. It was horrible. The people in there were, were rank and horrible people. They had been jailed for nothing. They had been put in there and imprisoned for no reason at all. There was no reason for them to be in there other than their belief system. And in the midst of all of that, they had gone through an entire whatever until they came to the latest time at night and they were still awake, still thinking, I know what it's like to be awake at night and have things going through your mind. Your mind is in turmoil and you say, I don't know if I will be here tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. The rats are eating at your toes, you know, and, and you just don't know the stocks and bud. Your arms are sore and your legs are sore and you got red marks on you and they beat you and you're hurt and you still look up and you say, oh, the Lord is good. And you start singing. And about midnight. And about midnight, Paul and Silas sang and praised the Lord. So in the midst of this, David encouraged himself. As he gets up the next day and starts his, they obviously, he obviously got the men together. He inquired of the Lord and said, Lord, should we go and get these, get them back? And the Lord said, go. He grabbed his 600 people and he headed down the road, and when he was going down the road, 200 of them fainted. I want you to just imagine that this man, something was burning on the inside of him. He had a word from heaven. He knew there was a destiny on the inside of him. He had encouraged himself in the Lord. He wasn't going to quit. He wasn't going, I know you may quit. I know y'all may walk away. I know the journey may be too far for you. You, you. you might not be able to follow with me. You might not be able to go with me. I, I understand you haven't heard what I heard. You don't know what I know, but I'm going whether you go or you don't go. I'm going to follow God whether you follow God or you don't follow God. I'm going to march on whether you march on. Sometimes you just got to walk on down the road. When folks walk away and when folks turn away from you, don't you see that as a negative? Look at it as a positive. They may not get your vision. They may not have your heart. They might not know what you know. But if you've been encouraged yourself. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. He walked down that road. And I found out something about the Lord. God takes little and makes much. You might come up in your life against the battle that the last battle you had more that went with you. There might have been more resources and more money and more ability and more talent with you last time. And you might be coming up and half that's gone and some of them left you and they're no longer with you and your wife walked out. But I'm telling you something. You take the two loaves and the two fishes. You take the loaves and fishes you got and you use what God gave you because quantity will always be better than quality. Wait a minute, quality will always be better than quantity. Y'all amen the wrong thing before. You may have less money this time, but God didn't say it was based on your money. He said when you are weak, when you can't do it, when you're not able, when you can't make it through, God will make a way. God will carry you. God will pick you up. God will hold your hand. God will help you. God will lift up your hands. He marched on with his 400 men. 
went over to the Amalekites, Amalekites. And when he got over the Amalekites, the Lord was with him. And the Lord supported him. The Lord helped him. And they brought back all of their family. They came into Ziklag, which is the place where they were. And the city of Ziklag is a place of, of utter uh, uh, extremes because, again, it's, it's a place, you know, I mean, if you look at it and you, you, you tried to type it or, or reference it, it would be a place of controversy. It would be a place where the devil attacks in many ways. Our lives are that way. We go through things and ziklags come up in our life where we're attacked in many ways. One of the worst conditions in his life happened right here at this moment. But his faith was intact. See, he had a trust in God. He encouraged himself and he kept himself before the Lord. In the midst of the worst place in his life. Now, this is the point. This is the point. And sometimes you don't realize what standing means. The Bible says, having done all to stand. You look at me today, I want you to know something. My name is Steve Stand Stand McCart. I blew my mind, I blew the staff's mind the other day. I really did, I did. I'm just going to tell you, I'll tell you. I'm just going to share with you where I I don't mean to, I, I, I really did, I blew their mind. In one of the greatest moments of victory in this church's experience, right in the center of one of the greatest experiences we'd had, the Spirit of God came, the move of the Spirit came. In the very middle of that, something happened to me. And I'm telling you, I walked into my wife, I said, Amy, I'm done. I quit. I've had enough. I've had enough. And she said, okay. She said, just tell me where we're going. I said, I don't know. But I had enough. And I went into my prayer room and I began to pray. And I encouraged myself. And the Spirit of God came in that room and lifted my spirit and helped me. I came in the next day and I, on our staff meeting, I said, fellas, I almost quit last night. Or Friday, it was actually a Friday. I was going to resign, I was done. I'd had enough. The attack had been so great, I just had enough. I felt like this. I felt like David, and I went out and I charged against the wall again. You know how you come back on Monday and you, and I said, I mean, you guys know, Greg will tell you. I mean, I told him. I, was, I don't like to hide things from him. I was telling him I was done. We're, I'm quitting. They know this is the truth. This is not a story, is it? And I, I, I got myself up. Stuff, it just, I know, don't look at me funny like that. Y'all act like you ain't never been through this. You're sitting there like y'all holy and stuff. You've been in your businesses and the devil came and attacked you and came after y'all and beat you down and beat your head in and kicked you in the teeth and, and, and wounded you and bruised you. You were black and blue, but you showed back up tomorrow. You know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I know you think preachers don't go through this. One of the loneliest jobs that has ever been on the planet Earth is to be a leader that God calls you to lead. And somebody looks at you and they say, well, what you doing? And they say, the loneliest place you'll ever live is in leadership. 
the greatest men in this world. If you get to deeper than who they really are, you get past the surface stuff, you're going to find out they're lonely people because they've been betrayed and mistrusted and people have thought bad things about them. And they don't have nobody to talk to. They can't share their inner self because if they do, they're going to be judged for it. If you act the wrong way or say the wrong words, you're not good enough to be the man of God. And I could do that better. And People walk out on you and betray you, and you did. I mean, you didn't do anything. You don't even know what you did, and it's a lonely, lonely, lonely. You got nobody but God to talk to. David was there. He didn't have nobody but God. In the midst of this condition, he's in the midst of this place. Two days have passed. He's back. Got the family back. News comes. And here comes the servant, an Amalekite, who was there when Saul fell on his sword. Jonathan had been killed in the battle, and Saul had fallen on his sword. And so, because Saul didn't want to be taken captive by the Philistines, and he didn't want to be embarrassed and let them say he had, he had been defeated by them, he asked the Amalekite if the Amalekite would do him in. And so the Amalekite obliged him and, and stabbed him and killed him and took the bracelet off of his arm and took the crown from his head and carried it to Ziklag. I don't think you get the significance of that. It ought to remind you of a story I told at the beginning. How the very thing that I had in my heart that I had put before the Lord, God brought it through my door. He didn't have to go get. He didn't have to go get the kingdom. He didn't have to go get the crown. Two days later, after the worst experience of his life, two days after the hardest extremes of men that he could ever endure, two days after he sat on the floor, God, help me. He didn't realize that standing in that spot, not moving, not quitting, not walking away, yeah, I'm sure he wanted to, but continuing to stand and having done all to stand, that his faith through the midst of his worst pain would bring him the very thing that God had promised to him. You may be sitting, I know, I know I've been there. I've sat there and thought, I'm ready to quit. You may be in this room today and think, I don't know if I want to stay with this. I don't know if, I'm not talking about just individual things. I'm talking about your relationship with God and the plans and purposes of God. God has planted inside of each of you a vision. God has a destiny for your life. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He plans for you to be wealthy, not poor. He plans for you to be healthy, not sick. He plans for you to be a leader and not a, not a less than. He plans for you to be something and not a nobody. You understand what I'm talking about? You have 
divine destiny on you. He's got a call on your life. I know the devil's tried to take me out several times. I remember sitting on the floor in a shower one time in a condition where I thought I was losing my mind and the only thing that could help me through was Jesus. But if I quit in the shower, I wouldn't be standing in the pulpit. David, watch that coming out. Let me, let me share one more thing. Just side note, little sidebar. I love this. As David now stands in front of this servant, he then says, why did you kill Saul? I mean, the prophecy had already been suggested. Saul had even invited it. It was Saul that asked him to kill him. Do you remember the story? And if you don't, I want you to read it after. So Saul had asked him to do it. He simply did what he was asked to do. He did what he was asked to do. But David is so big in his thinking that he says to this servant, Why hast thou done this thing against the anointing of God? And had his servant behead him. Here's the significance. He's telling him that even though he had been asked, even though he had been solicited, your fear of God should be more than your fear of man. That what you do with God really matters. That it was more important. I, I think you ought to look at the significance of this. He lost his head because he defied the anointing of God. So folks, there's two, two reasons I'm saying this. One is, I'm telling you right now. When it comes to the things of God, the men of God, the man of God, and different things like that, shut your mouth. Don't you say nothing. Don't let it come through you. Don't you let it be the... I mean, you may know that the, the Lord's going to take him out. You may know the Lord's going to remove him, but don't you be the one that removes him. Don't you help out. Don't you contribute to it. Don't you hurt the man of God. Don't you go in there and lop off his head. Don't you be the one that said it. You may walk out yourself, but don't you take anybody with you. Don't cut his head off, because eventually that'll cut yours off. I just thought I'd throw that in. That was free. Now let me give you the other part. It denied that man a blessing in his life. It denied his life. When you take the anointing of God and liberally, you treat it as if it were natural instead of spiritual, you deny yourself the right to the blessings of God and the life that God has for you. I want to encourage you this morning. This is my message today. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't let the devil hit you one way and the other and decide it's over. Don't stop being a fighter. Don't stop standing up for the word of God. Don't stop believing. The Bible says there are diverse temptations that come, but they are to bring patience in our life. It's not to try you as a person. It is to try what you believe. Do you still believe that God said it? Do you still believe that God told you? Do you still believe that he said you're the head and not the tail? Do you believe that you are above and not beneath? Do you still, even though you're down and you're on your face crying out to God, can I make it tomorrow? Do you still believe that Jesus is going to come through, that God is going to see you through? Do you still believe He's going to supply all your needs according. Do you still believe Jesus is my healer? That's the trial of your faith. That's what's being tested. That's where you are today. Do you still believe? 
Do you still believe? Do you still believe? Would you stand up on your feet?